Welcome to the Wild and Free Podcast, Episode 53. I'm Ainsley Arment, and this week, Rhea Berg, the founder of Beautiful Feet Books, talks about fueling our children's reading habit and cultivating storytellers at home. The literature was really the way we established these rich bridges of communication, these rich connections and relationship. And because of those rich connections, we always had something to talk about. And, you know, when our kids went off to college, like my daughter would call me and say, oh, mom, um, the professor just assigned us this book and you're going to absolutely love it. It's incredible. Plus, this is the last week to get our January bundle vision before the new Levin bundle comes out next week. We'll talk about what's inside in just a few minutes. So grab a cup of coffee and join us on the front porch. Let's get started. Leah Bowden is a cherished part of the Wild and Free community. She's a British homeschooling mama, a regular contributor to the Wild and Free content bundles, and the founder of Modern Miss Mason. She recently wrote a piece for us called When Mother Reads, and we enjoyed it so much that we asked her to share it with you here. But first, this is the last week to get January's bundle Vision before our new Levin bundle comes out in February. Vision has a tutorial for making midwinter lanterns by Katrine Van Duren, articles on being intentional in the new year by Carol Ann Sartell, homeschooling in small spaces by Kristen Rogers, a video tutorial on sketching landscapes, exclusive podcasts, pieces on reading young adult literature with teens by Amy Hughes, taking the non-college path by Jen Dees, and so much more. If you subscribe this week, you'll not only get January's Vision Bundle, but you'll also get last month's Festive Bundle and next week's Levin Bundle when it becomes available. That's three bundles in just one week. Plus, you'll get a welcome kit in the mail, a subscription to our print magazine, and access to all of our conference recordings. To take advantage of this special offer, visit bewildandfree.org bundles. When Mother Reads When Mother Reads, the world stands still. We lay aside ages and stages and turn our attention to the turning of pages. When Mother Reads, a new door opens to worlds unseen and lands undiscovered. She invites us in, curled up on the sofa or with flashlight in hand and under the covers. When Mother Reads, my Fingers rest upon her fingers. There's the sounding out of words and the pointing of pictures. When mother reads, my senses are enlightened. I feel alive, my heart feels full, and there's no need to be frightened. When mother reads, there's a calm in the sea. Her words comfort and heal the confusion in me. When mother reads, new friends come alive. I listen with bated breath to hear whether they perish or survive. When mother reads, the words seem to make sense. Even pages of poetry, fables, heroes and suspense. When mother reads, history springs up before my eyes. I meet with kings, courtiers and castles described without guise. 
When mother reads, I can almost feel the breeze upon my face. Adventures in nature leap out from her lap. Her words create space. When mother reads, the stories somehow stay in my mind. She does character voices. Her words are gentle and kind. When mother reads, she gladly welcomes my questions. I have explanations and endings and lots of great suggestions. When mother reads, nothing else seems to matter. We quieten the notifications, the needs, the clutter and the chatter. When mother reads, I just know this is how it's supposed to be. Her stories store up in my mind and my heart becomes free. Read on, dearest mother, for all the words you have poured. Your children are listening. Their lives are your reward. Rhea Berg is the founder of Beautiful Feet Books. She has a heart for encouraging mothers to make literature a vital part of their homeschool experience. She recently sat down with Jennifer Pepito to talk about fueling our children's reading habits and cultivating storytellers at home. Let's listen in. So I'm excited to chat with you today, Rhea. Thank you. Um, Thanks for having me. So I thought it'd be fun to talk about books. And I think that one of the things that we struggle with as homeschoolers is, you know, maybe being too picky or not picky enough. Mm -hmm. There's almost the two sides, right? Because on the one hand, you can just go into the library and grab a huge stack. And and through the years, I've gotten a little bit pickier. Like, um, I I look at the pictures and I think, are these beautiful or are they just like Mm -hmm. ugly cartoons, you know? Sure. But what was kind of the criteria for you as you're homeschooling your children in choosing books? Well, first of all, the literary value had to be there, but I'm a pretty visual person, so I'm attracted to beautiful art, and especially when my kids were little, that was the first criteria, was just, is it beautiful? And then, if it was beautiful, and it had literary value, then it was a win-win. Do you think it's, do you think it, Matt, like, if I go to the library... Because I know, for me, I would look for Tasha Tudor. Yeah, I would look for Alice and Martin Provinson. Yeah, I would look for anything by Beautiful Feet Books, Delaire. But what do you do with your children's choices? Like, how can you just let them go to the library and pick anything, or do you sort of curate what comes home? I think it's good to curate a little bit, um, but that's hard to do if you've got a lot of children and you're in the library and you're just doing a quick. Pit stop to grab a bunch of books. It's hard to do. So, but you can curate still when you get home. And if you start a book and it's just not good, just put it down and go. You know, the story's not going any place I think I like. So let's put this one down and try another one. Right. And usually kids will kids will see that too. It's just like mm, I don't really like this book. Yeah. So you can read a, a wide a wide variety. You can read a wealth of books, but. Eventually, you'll do what you were saying. You'll 
figure out, oh, there's these authors that we can really trust. They write beautifully. They talk about important subjects. I like their style. I like the artists they choose and that sort of thing. And then eventually you're sort of curating it yourself before you go in. Yes, that's beautiful because there have been some newer ones. Like Extra Yarn was one book. I can't remember the author right now. Okay. It's a picture book. Um, Seeds and Trees, that's a new picture book. And they're both new brand new but fantastic illustrations mm-hmm. beautiful stories oh, that's and fantastic. and I love that you know I think that the, we develop our taste and that is why you probably feel the same way why I feel like it is important what my children would do is grab a huge stack of books we'd look at them at the library and then yes. I'd leave some on the table <laughs> yes and that's that's preferable rather than hauling them all home um, it's really interesting to me that on some of these topics that I think are really important. Like for instance, right now I'm working on around California with children's books. So I'm revising my California study and it's going to include chapter books and beautiful picture books. And I'm starting in the ice age and then we're moving up through the indigenous populations and trying to find a good quality children's book on the California Indian tribes is almost impossible. They're either so narrow, so superficial, um, the artwork is awful, they, you know, they just depict um, a stereotypical sort of California Indian, and it's, it's really depressing to me because the indigenous tribes that were here tens of thousands of years ago were really fascinating people. And they developed a culture and an ability to survive in extraordinary conditions with very limited tools and yet they thrived and they were able to live off the land in in beautiful harmony with nature and I find that so intriguing yeah it's interesting finding good quality literature about that period of history is really difficult yeah so I'm really having a struggle because that's a lot of the way that I homeschool my home and in my own community is through picture books yeah because I feel like you know, children young and old can engage really well with picture books, but it's the same thing. Some of these times in history, to me, ancient history is like so bereft of really good picture books. Yes. But I think there's going to be homeschool students. Who's, there's so many yes. homeschool students who are great storytellers and great illustrators. Yeah. I think they will start to see. We're going to see a people, new wave. A yes. new wave of beautiful picture books on these subjects that are missing. Yes. The stories. Ishi, you should write yes. a picture book on Ishi. That's I a know. good Ishi California would be a Indian beautiful, yeah, picture book. Beautiful story. Ishii was the very last surviving Indian in California. He showed up in the early 20th century and had lived in a completely primitive state, you know, surviving in that way. And his story is very compelling. So there there just aren't the, the books that kind of have the dignity and the beauty that I'm looking for. So that that's a struggle. It's a for struggle. Sure. So I think and we're going to have to probably publish Yes, them. I think so. So tell me, too, about <clears throat> transitioning into the teen years, like young adult. Because I, you know, I've looked at some people that I trust, their young adult book lists, and not everything on there would be a young adult book that I would want my, mm-hmm. like, 12-year-old to read. Yeah. And so how do you, you know, how did you, as your children were transitioning into reading on their own, it's not always easy to keep up with the reading. Yeah. And yet there can be subjects, like, even I let my teen daughter read the book Christy by Catherine Marshall, and it's one of my favorite books, yes. but there's a rape in that book. Yeah. And, and it's not graphic, but for that child, it was actually too much for her at the time, mm-hmm. and I should have done a better job censoring. And so how did you, as your children are growing, determine which child was ready for what material when? 
Well, you know, I stuck pretty close to the classics, and I, I guess I just feel like the classics have survived for a reason, and so those books are trustworthy, even though they will deal with mature topics, like you're talking about in Christie. Um, that book has survived for a reason. It's got a good message. And yeah, and then we sort of have to give our kids tools to deal with difficult subjects, you know. But I think if we stick to um, the books that have been regarded or people that are really doing good research on the new books as they're coming out in, in terms of, you know, the value in them and then how to deal with difficult topics in them and that sort of thing. Because, I mean, like I love the works of Walter Dean Myers, but he deals with, you know, he deals with urban life in some of its gritty forms. And yet his books can be really compelling for young people and, and address really important populations that we might not yeah. necessarily cross. One of my favorite books that we read out loud last year was The Single Shard mm -hmm. by Linda Sue Park. And it was just, yeah. there are some really sad themes in that book. Yes. But it was also so beautiful. Yes. So inspiring. Yeah. And um, like one of my teen son's favorite books was So Far from the Bamboo Grove, which was a very difficult book in the in terms of its story of a family living under, well, they're, they're part of the Japanese occupation forces living in Korea. Wow. And so they're the, you know, they're the ones that are sort of victimizing the Korean people, but it's told from the family's perspective. They're just living there because they're, you know, the father of the families in the Japanese military. And so it's their story from the, you know, child's perspective. And it's very compelling because then Japan loses the war and then they have to try to escape out of Korea. It's a true story and difficult, you know, yeah. subject matter. And I think it is so you know, so helpful in a way, like, there's no, there is no defending some people's actions, but yes. reading history from different perspectives can help us, I love, there's a Martin Luther King Jr. quote that says there's some good in the best, in the worst of us, and some evil in the best, best of, of us, us. and we must maintain the capacity to forgive, and I think yeah. sometimes reading history from a different perspective can help us, you know, not just make villains out of every yes. segment of a certain population. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. So um, tell me a little bit, too, about the the place for just storytelling. Because I know in, in Waldorf homeschooling, a, a lot of what they do or what the expectation is is that you will read a story and then retell it in your own words, mm -hmm. which is, I mean, that's what we're asking our children to do all the time. And so it should be yes. easy for us as moms to basically read an Aesop's fable and narrate it to our children. But I think that sometimes seems out of reach for us to just be storytellers. Yeah, I think we've... We feel like that's like an exalted thing, and yet we're honestly, we're all telling stories all the time, right? We're just, it's just naturally in who we are as human beings. We're always telling stories about an incident that happened at the grocery store. You know, what, what happened when, you know, someone lost their dog? You know, it's just stuff, stuff that happens all the time. We're telling those stories. So I think having that be a natural part of our conversation around the dinner table is the best way to cultivate that it's you know it's a beautiful thing to tell our children our stories and even the hard stories the stuff that we had to go through you know as young people that were difficult those stories are really meaningful to our kids yeah that's I love that you bring that up my father was born in basically a claim shanty like his parents were English my grandma was English grandpa was Hungarian and they had nothing they lived in a claim shanty and wow. 
And so I think, man, I mean, I told my dad, write that down, please, because this is a forgotten way of life. Nobody yes. is, sur- you know, not many people in the Western world or the developed world are living this life anymore. Right. You know, it was, they were, in a way, a developing people at the time. And so yes. it's so important to remember those stories. But so I think sometimes we don't think of ourselves as storytellers. We yeah. think of ourselves as just yeah. normal people and somebody else is the storyteller. Right. Hey friends, I wanted to take a minute to share a little bit about our book, The Call of the Wild and Free. When I first began homeschooling 10 years ago, I could never have imagined the community that would emerge from simply sharing my journey and inviting others to gather in community. You see, I was an unlikely homeschooler, but there was a whisper in my heart that I couldn't ignore any longer. A gentle calling beckoning me to give my son a chance at a childhood and time for wonder to work its magic in his young heart and mind. You can read more about my own journey, plus the stories of countless mamas in this community, and learn about the values that make us all wild and free. Pick up a copy of the book wherever books are sold, download it on Audible, or even check it out from your local library. To learn more, simply visit bewildandfree.org slash book. You know, we want our children to write well and communicate well. And in some element, like you say, yeah. it's, a, it's the cultivation of storytelling. It is. How can we cultivate that as mothers who are modeling that? Yeah, I think it's asking the right questions. You know, I, my daughter, my daughter-in-law, my son, they have, you know, and I know a lot of families do this, but it's like at the dinner table at night. So what was your, what was the hardest thing that happened today? And what was the best thing that happened? So you're cultivating that from a, the time the children are really young to be able to be storytellers. And if you're doing it around the dinner table, there's no, you know, you're not correcting them, you're just hearing their story. So cultivating an atmosphere where their story is valuable and everyone gets their time and they don't get interrupted. And yeah. It's so interesting too because in school, like so often we're comparing our children to school children. We're like, oh no, my children didn't fill out five reading comprehension workbook pages today. Yeah. Oh no, my children aren't reading, yeah. you know, and writing every day. Yeah. And yet in the small family homeschool, how many opportunities a day do our children have to actually make up a story, tell us something oh, they did, yes. tell us about a book they read, tell us how their game went or about the picture they drew. They have so many more opportunities than a normal child to learn how to be effective communicators. Yeah, it's so true. It's so true. So tell me, like, what do you think was one of the, as you look back on your own homeschooling career, what do you think was one of the best things you did? Probably the literature. Yeah, no question. Because um, the literature was really the way we established these rich bridges of communication, these rich connections in relationship. And because of those rich connections, we always had something to talk about. And, you know, when our kids went off to college, like, my daughter would call me and say, oh, mom, um, the professor just assigned us this book, and you're going to absolutely love it. It's incredible. And so because we had that rich background of all those stories, all those books we had read together, she knew exactly what my literary taste was. And she's right. It's one of my favorite books. I included it in um, the high school curriculum. Which book is that? It's called Lost Names by Richard Kim. Oh, interesting. And it's a true story of a young boy growing up in North Korea when um, China invades 
uh, Korea and occupies Korea, and it's so beautiful. It's so beautifully written. It's so compelling. It's a true story, and it's it's just one of those books. I've read it probably six or seven times, and each time I read it, I just love it that much more. It's so beautiful. So those kinds of things happen, you know, continually when you have that rich base of stories in your life. Yeah. And is there something you wish you hadn't done? Because I think now as... Like if you're a homeschooler now or a Charlotte Mason homeschooler, there's so much information. I think you could mm-hmm. almost overdo it. Like oh, you absolutely. Could, you could squeeze out living books for your family <laughs> by trying to read a rigid book list. Or you yeah. could squeeze out nature study by trying to follow a, 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 a really intensive curriculum. Yeah. What is something that you you say, well, I wish I hadn't done that, actually? Yeah, I wish I hadn't been so concerned about academics. I... Um, I think I came into homeschooling feeling inadequate. I think a lot of us do because it's such a monumentous task that we take on. And I think because we sort of grow into it, you know, I mean, we started when our oldest was going to kindergarten. So we had that ease of just, you know, easing into it, you know, teaching your child how to read and all that. But as my children got over, you know, older and into their teens, I did feel a lot of pressure for academic success. And fortunately, because I had this rich, you know, foundation of literature, they were successful academically. But I wish that we would have had more fun together. That's the only thing I really regret. I I, I spent too much time focusing on academics and not enough time setting aside time for just play and fun and going places and enjoying life. So I love what I see in the wild and free community because I feel like they are really bringing that back into education. The, for me, the most important thing was relationships, and I think, um, by the grace of God, I have beautiful relationships with my children, and that, to me, is the fruit of you know, our investment. But, um, but I do regret that I didn't spend more time just enjoying them and just... You know, having fun together. Yeah. So I would really I mean, encourage young families. That's yeah, really room. important. I agree. I mean, especially because it just—it's funny. You can think that you'll always be, yeah. you know, nursing a baby or getting up at night or right. whatever it is, but it does go really fast. And it goes so fast. It goes fast. so fast, and you yeah. can never—you never get it back. No. Yeah. Um, and then last question. I mean, this is personally very interesting to me. Tell me a little bit about getting your kids into college because you graduated some of them from your homeschool. Mm-hmm. Yes. And and that means putting together a transcript. Like we, I've gotten all of my children who've graduated have been able to apply to a private school, qualify for some scholarships, and get mm-hmm. in. Yes. But then they've cho- they've ultimately chosen to go to a state university to get it cheaper. Yes. But that still is one of the big things I think is homeschools are like, how are we going to do the transcript and, and yeah. how are we going to do all those academics of high school? Yeah. Tell me just a little bit about that process for you. Like, did you bring in outside help? Was it the SAT scores that mattered the most? Mm-hmm. What do you think mattered the most for them in getting into the college of their choice? Well, I think we, we went a number of different ways with each child. It depends on your child. Some children are just more academic than others. So a lot of my kids did AP coursework when they were in high school, and we did that through uh, an organization called PA Homeschoolers. 
and they're fantastic at what they do. And so they were being mentored and guided through doing an advanced placement course of study for a year and then taking the exam. So that was, that was actually a really good way to validate their level and their skill and their knowledge of a subject. They did really well in those, the ones that did them. And then we also, they also all did, almost all of them did community college courses while they were in high school as well, because the whole dual enrollment thing is fantastic. You know, they're earning high school credit at the same time they're earning college credit. It's free. (laughs) It's free. And, you know, one of our kids had a whole year of college credit before she even started college and and then in varying degrees all of our kids did did that so um and then some of our kids went the community college route for the first two years and then and then transferred into the school of their choice and so it was different for each child but I don't think people should obsess about the transcript I think they should you know avail themselves of the things that are available in their community at the community college and and those sorts of things don't try to do lab sciences at home or advanced level math at home if you're not equipped it'll just drive everybody crazy right you'll lose relationship and it's not worth it it's not worth it it's true i definitely believe in outsourcing it's interesting because i don't want to outsource too much in high school because i want to have the relationship i want the time with my teens. Right. But on the other hand, there is nothing that can replace a math teacher yes. or a science teacher who does a lab. That's that's, that's fine right. for our teens. And our teens at some point need to be ready to encounter culture in that way anyhow. Absolutely. So being afraid of, you know, a community college is not generally founded. Right. So. Exactly. So yeah, so I think um I, I just I haven't had any super um, dramatic stories of failure because somebody didn't know how to put together a transcript. I mean, there's people out there that can help you do that. So just That's don't true. obsess over it. You know, make sure they're doing the courses that they need to for the grade level that they're in, and then and then then enjoy like allowing them to spread their wings and make some choices in high school that are uniquely who they are. Absolutely. So. Well, thanks so much for sharing, Rhea. I always appreciate hearing oh, thank from. You. Uh, mamas like you have really put in the time to understand what you're doing. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Jen. Thanks, Rhea. Don't forget, guys, it's the last week you can get January's Vision Bundle before the new Leaven Bundle launches in February. But if you subscribe right now, you can get last month's Festive Bundle, this month's Vision Bundle, and next month's Leaven Bundle when it launches in just a few days. That's three bundles in one week. To become a member, sign up at bewildandfree.org slash bundles. Well, that's all the time we have for today, but join us again next week for the Wild and Free podcast.